This episode is sponsored by TGW.com. That is the golf warehouse, an online store that is an awesome place to snag some new gear whenever you need it. And over the years, I've picked up a bunch of good stuff from TGW. I always feel like before a golf trip, they end up grabbing a bunch of extra hats, shirts, shoes, maybe a new putter. Who knows? And did you know they actually have a 230,000 square foot warehouse space for the 40,000 products they sell? It's pretty crazy. It's a lot of square footage. And if you need some essentials like gloves, rangefinders, shorts, pants, etc., TGW actually has their own brand, which delivers high-level performance with good pricing that you need on gear that you go through frequently. Make sure to check all that out and all that TGW is doing over at tgw.com slash GSL. Make sure to go to that link and let them know that you came through the podcast. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. I think some of the biggest myths and things that we really don't understand is around training and improvement. We've done a bunch of content around learning in the past. You can find that over on the website. You can search for it. But I wanted to do a roundtable for this series. And this conversation is going to have a few different perspectives. We're going to take the next few episodes to look at this. We're sitting down with three guys who spent a lot of time thinking and researching how we get better at golf. I'm a golf coach based in Edinburgh. I just moved to Swanston Golf Club. Interested practice, research, kind of skill acquisition and more learning. Yeah, put simply, kind of how to practice better and how to create, you know, kind of learning environments in golf. That was our first guest for the series, Peter Arnott. You've heard him in the past here on the podcast. I'm Ed Colgan. I'm based in, in Cork Institute of Technology in Cork in Ireland and my background is in sports science. My PhD was in skill acquisition and my, my, I suppose my work outside of being an academic is, is in the, the practice space of developing practice environments that replicate as strongly as possible the environments that players and athletes experience when they compete. Um, and I try I work to develop strong transfer spaces. My name is Ollie Logan. And my kind of background is in biomechanics and, and skill acquisition. I currently work for British Swimming. So I, I work with uh, all of their, their top swimmers, uh, looking at kind of biomechan- biomechanical analysis of their swimming technique and then looking at the skill acquisition interventions of, of kind of those, of those techniques. I've been doing that for 18 months. Before then, I was working for a company called the English Institute of Sport, where I was, again, biomechanist and kind of skill acquisition lead for a number of sports, particularly execution of skill under pressure sports, as I would term them. So kind of uh, archery, gymnastics, a little bit with diving, et cetera, et cetera. The sponsor for today's episode is Gravity Fit. Gravity Fit is a great feedback device, and they're helping to fill the white space between knowing what is happening in your golf swing and actually making a change. As motor learning and effective practice is heating up, Gravity Fit is making equipment and instructional content that fits squarely into this space by providing real-time feedback on posture and movement quality. 
PGA Tour winner Cameron Smith is a huge advocate for the products, using them for anything from gym work to pre-round warm-up to hitting full shots on the range. Cam realizes the importance of being provided with consistent feedback on his posture and movement, simply going through his usual routines or really trying to make a technical change. Cam knows there's a strong relationship between his body moving right and his ball striking and gravity fit is a key part of ensuring that he is on the right track. The feedback that Gravity Fit really gives is fantastic. Check out how it works. The best thing that you can do is watch a video. We have one over on our site, golfsciencelive.com slash gravityfit. We have a bunch of videos there. You can head over to gravityfit.com to learn more. They have an article on there so you can see how Cam incorporates Gravity Fit into his prep. So let's start with a case study or something we all can relate to as a way to kickstart this chat. The last round that I was out, I, you know, let's just say I was slicing my irons. So, you know, I go to the driving range and I grab my seven iron and I put down the bucket and I, and I start hitting shots, right? I hit a couple good, then I hit a bad one. And so then I try to, you know, pull on my jar of swing tips and I pick one and I try it. It didn't work after another five shots. I hit another bad one. So then I go to a different one. And then, (laughs) you know, after about 10 minutes, I'm frustrated and I'm just hitting balls as quickly as I can, hoping that I can find something that works. And that's kind of one area is, is you end up frustrated or you end up checked out because you're just, it's not that mentally engaging, right? You're just cognitively, you're not involved in the process. Like those are a couple like symptoms that I see with block practice just as, as an observer, right? What would you guys say to that or what would you be looking for instead of that? You're you're chasing something when you get to that spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's one thing I would see a lot in the last couple of years in, in the golf space, in the, which I would have seen in all other practice spaces in other sports that I'd have seen previous is that idea of, of rushing to a conclusion. And... If golf, because of how complex it is, like it's not just it's not just a movement sport. Because as as we say, like a, you know, if, if we want a quick definition of what it's all about, you know, the the the, the most basic of, of of skill acquisition is is just when you're using your body, and that's difficult enough as it is because it's so complex to control it all. And then you add in an implement that you have to engage with, and that makes it even more challenging again. And that might be in a sport where you're not having to hit something, but you're just having to use an implement, be that, uh, you know, a a basketball or soccer, and that's all you're doing. And then you add in in golf, where you have a club that's trying to hit a ball. The degrees of freedom are just exponentially going through the roof every time we're adding another thing. And probably the most complex one of them all is polo, because you're on a horse with a club and a ball, you know? And every time we're adding another one of these, but take a step back from polo and you're still at golf and it's so, so complex, but we, we were chasing something like, as you were saying, I want, I want to get there quickly. And as opposed to chasing the, the perfect swing, it, it might just be about trying to connect, as you were saying, those swing thoughts, those really helpful and useful swing thoughts that, the, that, that coaches give you. But maybe what the end point looks like is is unattainable. So maybe it's the end point. The outcome needs to change, let's say, to to ease the anxiety that players experience that they that they're chasing so much, let's say. Just just on that, Cordy, it's interesting that you 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 mentioned you would you dip into your jar of of swing tips. <laughs> Probably what what you'd receive from 
I don't know, either coaches or, or from, from peers. And, you know, I, I'm making an assumption that those are, are varied and either kind of an internal focus or a position of a, of a body segment or somewhere you have to aim at or stuff like that. And I think, again, I see a lot of athletes when, when, they're, when they're having issues with what they would call technique, I would probably more refer to it as skill. They want to then go away into like a, a more quiet environment and break it down and try and problem solve. And actually what they're doing there is slowing everything down, really paying a lot of attention to the minutiae of the technique of the skill. When actually what, what we try and encourage the athletes to do is, is go away, kind of clear the mind, maybe listen to some music and just let your body return to its defaults, like swing pattern or default movement pattern. Um, because you're trying to search for something there that, that trying to force something, as kind of Ed has said. And always, again, when certainly when I'm working with athletes is, is when they've feel that they've lost the feel of, of, of the technique is I try and get them in a space where they can return to default and, and feel happy with the movement again. And often that, that is more difficult by really focusing and really trying to slow things down and, and almost being quite internally focused. I really like that. If I can just jump in, I really, really like that. And it, it actually, it, what you described there, Cordy, is, is quite common. You go, you play your round, something's not right, you go to the range. And one thing that I've done over the last over the last while is okay, no problem going to the range if you after around you or something, but you've got to have a very clear purpose why, and even just by encouraging them to come up with a purpose, it kind of goes to what Ali was saying there. They've got to actually the, the the players have to go and go go into themselves to have a bit of a quiet time to actually identify well what why am I going here. And it's amazing the impact that just slowing them down so they so they don't sprint from the 18th green to the to the range. Just see if I can slow them down just long enough for them to think clearly what is the purpose of, of me going to the range now? And it's not a few a few things. There's got to be just one one reason, one purpose. Because then I think if you if you're going if you're going there with a single purpose, because you've had the time, like Ali says there, just to just a reset, take a few deep breaths, go away and just chill out for a sec before you go straight to the range. Now, now, do you have a purpose and only one that radically reduces the likelihood of, of it becoming a game of chasing if you're going there for a particular reason? And it may be, I didn't, I didn't get my, I, I don't feel I got enough shoulder turn or I didn't feel like I released enough. Whatever. Okay, well, let, let's just go in there just, just to work on that because that, that's something that's much more likely to be attainable in and again back to what even peter was saying or, or maybe it was ali about you get it was ali you get, you get a bit of confidence then you know and it, all of a sudden we're all all the different elements of performance and practice link in a bit of confidence a bit of motivation then okay i'm only going in here to do this one thing it it, it, it narrows your focus a little bit to get you know as opposed to going over there and you're not quite sure you, you hit it right on the seventh and you, geez, you hit it left on the ninth and you skied it on the on the twelfth and you're going in there. You're like, <laughs> I've just got to find something because it was going everywhere. And you're thinking, OK, that's that's when that's when it can become very frustrating because it's really challenging for a for a player to, to lock that down unless there's a really clear purpose. And I, that's why I really like what Ali said there. Send them away first. Don't don't rush straight into it. Yeah. Let's just cool the jets down a little bit first, and and get a bit retrospective and introspective to really to really nail down why we're going here. You know, because you know you you might you might need to go there at all. You might tee it up the next day, and it will be fine. 
Yeah, that's that's something that's come out. Uh, my masters interviewing European tour players. A few, a few of them talked about searching on the range. You know, spending hours in the range trying to find a golf swing. A couple of guys talked about even going past the stage of they were hitting it great, and just because they were bored and had nothing to do, <laughs> they went past the you know start tinkering with the golf swing because they you know they had hours to for their tea time. And guys talking about making drastic changes, changes their swing an hour before they tee off in the first round of the European Tour event. And, and it was just fascinating. The guys reflecting and they all said that they, they, when the best players, they all they, they never seen the best players grinding it out in the range. Uh, and I think there's there's a time and a place for the range. You know, if you, if you are, but I love the, the kind of purpose there that you guys talked about. Yeah, going for a purpose. How do you create a practice environment that is not boring, that fosters that engagement? I, I agree. It's I, I think that is the number one thing I, that I always say to people when they ask, like, what is good practice? Well, you, you have to be completely engaged in what you're doing. And it's great to say. And from experience, I, I know what that, that looks like and feels like. However, it's really hard to describe to somebody if they have not experienced that and they aren't really familiar with this learning or practice space. How would you go about describing that to someone? And then how would you go about getting them started on that path to to kind of get that revelation or have that moment where they where they get it? When I think of that, because I've been asked that, that question a few times and, and I always have a stab at it, but I also always veer them towards a, a real pioneer in, in our space of, of practice coaching and, and, and simulation coaching and like, and that, that, that's Dave Allred and the work he's, he's done with in rugby and, and a whole lot of sports. And now in, in golf and in recent years and stuff, his book, the pressure principle go has some really neat ways of articulating that about how to set up that type of purposeful practice space in a very practical way, let's say, you know, and, and what, it, it boils down to what 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 Dave would you know speaks about in his book, and you, you, I'm sure you've seen him in interviews and stuff. Is is trying to is it's trying to connect the athlete, the golfer, with the task, because you can't do you you can't have the golfer doing a task that they themselves aren't connected to. And this goes right back to the Ericsson's work in deliberate practice again of relevance. If the task is not, if the if the athlete doesn't get the relevance of the task to their performance, the, you will be there all day and they won't connect with it properly. Now they, it'll look like they're doing it and so on and so forth. But as far as it, it becoming a new behavior, and you'll get your lovely practice effect that will make it look all shiny and bright on the day of practice. But the performance effect and the learning effect will just not be there. And I think that's one of the key things can you can you spend the time to identify with the athlete that it is not just a drill for the sake of a drill this is because of something you've spoken about this is something that you've mentioned this is an observation from your play this is relevant to where where we're at and that's why when people ask me about you know well, how do you work in this that and they're always stunned when i say well i i, I don't do sessions I, I don't, and I used, but I can't do, oh, I'll see you for an hour. I just can't. So I work in, in days. I'll see you for a day, two days, three days. And we'll spend days together because you, for me anyway, you have to spend that time with the athlete 
to find out, okay, where is the pressure point? Where is, and when, I, when, you, when you find that out, that space of what is really relevant to their performance, they'll take it away from you then because they, you, you'll just, they, you'll be amazed how they'll devise really good things around that themselves because it's really important to them. But also, you'll then be able to identify some really pertinent consequences to the, to the practice as well, which is critical because there's consequences in competition all the time. All the time, you miss you miss a you you miss a cut by one. You make no money that week. You you and so on and so. There's consequences everywhere, everywhere in in, in professional golf and in all golf, but the space that, that we're we're working in. And I think relevance is the key to trying to, to identify that. Spend time listening to find out what it is they're struggling with, and then go to work with the player to come up with something that is going to really pressure test the relevance of that work. And if you're if you're in that practice space where it's relevant to overall performance improvement, where they've connected with it, it's it's an incredibly rich space then. Yeah, like to give an example from my own coaching, a session on Monday, like an assistant pro player, I went to watch him play in competition first and then we created a practice environment around what we discussed and seen, well, I seen in performance. So walked around 18 holes with them. It was fascinating, you know, just his beliefs on where his game was at. And then I was like, well, actually, you know, there's actually, in my opinion, it was a short game, you know. And then we, we had a discussion around that and then we, he agreed on that and we created scenarios for him for two and a half, three hours, and it, it literally, <laughs> it was it was the, and distance control as well, we did a little bit of that, and, and with this player in particular, doesn't like consequences, doesn't want them, he's just so driven, he doesn't doesn't see the relevance of them, which is unusual, but it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, there's a goal, get it, we're not, we're not, we're not moving on, so it was basically three up and downs, simplest game in the world, three up and downs, just, I was chucking balls everywhere. You have to get up and down three times in a row, but two of them have to be within four and a half feet. You get one pass, but two of them, and he's still got to put out, still got to put out, but two of them, four and a half feet, one could be as far away as he wanted. You know, it just has to get three twos in a row. And we, we spent at least two hours on that game alone. And I just <laughs> kept pushing them. And how are you feeling? Frustrated. Does this feel like competition? Yeah. And it took us, it must have been two and a half hours in when we found something that was kind of half technical, you know, like he, I put him on a sandy lie. He's grown up on Gullen, basically, and he, he, his technique, he's just not used to it, you know, and he literally just discussed what was happening, and I didn't tell him what to do. He just figured it out for himself. He was like, okay, right, boom. That was like a five-minute conversation back in the game. Yeah. I think yeah. the one thing I think the one thing that that may be evident in in our just two examples there, uh, Cordy, which is key, and I think, and I, I know this is the same for for Ali. We've spoken about in the past. The routes that we talk about here, they're not quick fixes. Uh. It, it, we're, we're all three of us are very interested in a stay fix, and it's because it, it, it's not about just something quick just to get them out of your way. Like Ali's a full-time, full-time employee in British swimming. 
So even when they're not in the pool, he's working to try and find a stay fix. Same with what Peter's talking about there, you know, spending hours with people. And a few weeks ago, Stuart Morgan put out a tweet. It was quite funny. And I met him. I actually met him at an event there uh, last week. Like the amount of information and and insights that this guy has is just brilliant. But he, he put out a tweet there recently about... Molinari, you know, and the, what he does and the work he's been doing with with Dave Allred. And, and you know what, if 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 that's what you're interested in, there's there are other guys out there who do it, depending on where you are in the world, you know, and he put he tagged a few of us onto the tweet. Now, I said to Marta, I was like, you know, I got a bunch of people getting in touch after that tweet. And he was like, oh, that's great. And I said, yeah, it is. But he said, it's very easy to weed them out because you could spot the quick fix guys a mile off, an absolute mile off. Oh, can you do some of that fancy practice stuff for me? And uh, no, no, just just give me something quick. And no, no, I'll work away myself. And you're like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm charging my phone today. Uh, I can't, I can't work with you because that's not what this is about. If you're if you're genuinely looking to change a behavior, you've got to be you've got to be patient because behavior change. And I, I sound like a broken record. I've said this so often recently. Behavior change is a nightmare. It is an absolute nightmare to change a behavior permanently and, and, and in a way that it actually holds up and is robust under pressure. So for people who are looking for a quick fix around these kind of things, great, great. But I'm certainly not the guy you need to go to if you're looking for a quick fix. And I don't think, you know what I mean? And that you, and that's hard. That's hard to build a, a, a service and stuff around that in the world that we live in now, when it's all just about quick fix here, quick fix there. You know, I want it now. I want it five seconds ago. You know, but but in this in elite sports space, behavior change takes time, and it takes a little bit of ingenuity and patience and creativity. But it also, as you were saying, from what you were saying there, Peter, it's a, going through a period of frustration. <laughs> I mean, ready for it. Yeah. Just picking up on 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 some of the stuff that Ed said, I think in terms of practice environment, the, the two things that that I look for to to kind of create that environment are are how representative is it of the the com- competition space. If you're practicing and it never represents the competition space, then you're unlikely, in my view, to get transferred to that. The second point is 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 where is the challenge point within your practice? So, so how challenged do you feel within it? Too easy? Is it too hard? Actually, do you set a space in the middle? And actually, that that space in the middle is probably somewhere where you want to be. How you can get to that space are are things like playing little games, creating problems for for the player to try and solve. You can use like variability in your practice, so you, you could have either random styles of practice or use of kind of different lies or kind of different positions where your feet are. Use of peers, little competitions, all those things can 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 change the variability and also the context of practice as well. And and you'll you'll working when you're working with athletes, you very quickly see where it's too easy and actually where it's an optimal challenge point, and they suddenly become 100% engaged in what they're doing. And then very quickly again, you start to understand once you push it a little bit too far and the skill starts to break down, then you go, okay, we've gone a little bit too far there. And that, that optimal space is constantly moving as the athlete learns and adapts to, to the problems in which you're setting them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important that, that people are, are within their practice space are reflecting, actually, is it representative and is it challenging me enough or, or do I need to move it on? And just again, picking up on one of the points that Ed says is, is the behavior change. If you're consistently seeing a behavior in competition and it's not shifting with what you're doing in practice, then you really need to look at what the, the practice that you're doing 
is it actually helping to shift the behavior change? And are you spending enough time in, in, in assisting in that behavior change? If I, if I look at, I've, I've spent probably a large part of my career trying to change techniques, as I would call them. Techniques which were, for me, solidified in competition because of the pressure of competition. And people were trying to change it under low pressure practice scenarios were just then struggling when they came back to competition. If you want to change something that's breaking down a competition, then you need to try and, and simulate that, that pressure and that experience within the practice environment um, to test as to whether that behavior change is, has, has stuck or not. If you're doing that under low pressure context, then you never actually are challenging the new skill that you've tried try to learn. And, and that's, I see a, that a lot as, as a big mistake as, of what people do in practice, to be honest. I 100% agree with everything that they <laughs> said. So just, just to add, like, something I definitely look for or ask, uh, you know, this is more for people listening, just uh, if you practice, if you're losing time, some of the, one of the questions we'll always ask is, you know, how long have you been practicing for? <laughs> and if they can, if they can nail it on the head an hour, then your practice hmm. environment is probably not very good. The one you've created, uh, but if if they are, if they say half an hour and it's two hours, you've probably nailed it. You know, I, again, I relate that to a good book you've got or a computer game you've played. Hmm. You know, time, time just disappears. Yeah, you get lost it, in it, don't you? Yeah, it's a kind of that flow state. Yeah, so. And you can see it as a practitioner. You can see when they're engaged in the task and maybe it's too difficult. Or, and that's just coaching, isn't it? It's just I, you can, I think you just hit the nail on the head there as well and yeah. the, uh, about that gauge of when they've lost it. And I think that's one of those key things that, that I, I know in the past I would not have I would uh, when I reflect back on some things, I, I, I it, it wins. It makes me wince. It stings because I think it, previously I, I probably would have been quite um, coach practice proud. Oh, this is a great thing we're doing uh, because because it must be great because I came up with it. You know, so I'm I'm just watching the task and I'm not watching the athlete. But nowadays I'm much much more engaged and watching actually as you just said there looking at them are they tuning out but also setting it up for them to in the blink of an eye say this isn't working and for that to be completely okay for them not to think i'm going to hurt this guy's feelings if i tell him this is a crap game that we're doing you know no tell me the moment you think it's crap because you know what we're not out there wasted to waste time and that stings. But you know what? I prefer that sting than the other one where, where you're driving home thinking that was brilliant. And all of a sudden you never hear from them again because they're like, you know, actually, that wasn't great. So sting me in the middle. <laughs> rather than, yeah. And then that, 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 and that's a key. That's a key thing. So almost that. Yeah, you're watching. You're watching for them to, to you know, oh, they're they're not really engaging, but equally for you to feel, you know what, they're going to tell me because I've set this up in such this this space for them to be to have total ownership. And let's not waste each other's time here and just, yeah, I don't get this. No, it's not relevant to me. I don't understand what, what you know. Great. Let's go. Let's go back to work and figure out a better way. A conversation that's fascinating me lately is some of the differences between skill and technique, the role of each and then how we practice and how we train for one, because the skill to do something and the technique to do something are very different things. And it's something in golf that we haven't necessarily thought about. We've thought about the technique, but have we really looked at the skill? Oh yeah, it definitely does for me. I mean, that's, this is something I, I I qualify with with the coaches that I work with quite clearly. And 
and I see a, a differentiation between technique and skill. And for, and for me, skill has a desired outcome. It's a series of movements that has a desired outcome. A technique might not necessarily have the desired outcome. It could be a way of, of moving either well or not well. So w- when I chat about movement and I chat about technique, I would tend to use the word skill because when we think about skill, we think about someone who manages to, to achieve a, a purpose or a task goal. And then that also frames the discussion away from technical instruction and coaching points and actually coaches and, and, and people you're working with actually think about it of, uh, well, what's the outcome that I'm trying to achieve rather than the movements that I'm trying to make? And that, that can be a big difference in, in focus from, for me. So, yeah, there's it, a clear differentiation in my view on that. I completely agree. Completely agree. I think there is that. Uh, again, how, how Ali defines it would pretty much be the same way I would define it. I think to just to extend onto you know part of what part of your question was, which do you do? I think by the time I, I get to people, they've already you know because I'm not a, I'm not a swing coach at all, and so a player will will have his or her swing coach. And then they come to me for for the, the the job of okay building an effective practice around the work that they're doing. So when they come to me, it's it's all about the skill. It's not about the the technique. And I think that's been one of the very rewarding things for me. And um, because some of the people I, I, some of the people I, I work with, their swing coaches are brilliant at what they do, but it's it's also quite separate, you know. Absolutely brilliant. Some of the insights and some of the things you you pick up from people whose expertise is in the technique side of of it. And for in, in our instance here in golf, and I think it's essential. It's not, it's not well essential. Maybe be strong, but I think yeah, maybe essential that to work on the skill that you have an appreciation of the work that's gone into the technique and vice versa. You know, so that you know that my the work the work that I I do complements the work that the swing coach does um which is which he has is you know uh, again i think aligns very strongly with what ali was just saying i dip my toe in both worlds so yeah i've got players that are just informed practice wise you know learning environment wise you know but mainly most of the players that i work with are kind of technical and well but yeah so there is technique refinement there but it's all based around skill I suppose <laughs> you know it's, it's not just optimal movements it's but yeah I've spent I probably came at it from a personal point of view I probably came at it because I spent so much time with Graham McDowell from the kind of skill acquisition point of view coaching eh, when I first started coaching and then in the last few years I've dipped my toe in with Mark Bull and biomechanics and that's interesting from a point of view of what the body can and can't do and 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 how that constrains movement and I, I, th- I find that fascinating as well but I've probably gone off topic a wee bit there but yeah, uh, it's, yeah. I mean it's 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 hard I guess I I give I fall into this trap quite a lot as so when you're a practitioner working in technical sports you quite often want to look at technique and I mean anybody who works in any sport but i can imagine in golf as well is is you'll notice when there's there's someone swinging with a technique that you might in class as normal or, or see as different i mean we're we're as humans we're attuned to notice difference and it's hard not to be drawn into and, and look at that and go oh that's different why is it different and it sits outside my kind of normal frame of reference yeah 
and you know coaches find that challenging and even I find that challenging but the thing I've, I've started to try and question myself is actually is, is how successful in the outcome is, is that person is we can have quite a lot of movement variability within a technique but actually how much outcome variability is there yeah and mm-hmm. you can have high movement variability and low outcome variability and that's what I see with the, the best people that I've worked with in technical sports Mm-hmm. Is they can actually increase their movement variability to yeah. reduce their outcome variability. And the, yeah. for me, it's anecdotal. I have some data on this, but that does differentiate high-level athletes versus athletes who st- still have quite, haven't quite made that breakthrough. So that's... De- de- degeneracy, basically, many ways yeah. to do to solve one problem. Yeah. That, yeah. Absolutely agree, and even see that currently with 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 some some people. Absolutely agree. The the ones who you the ones who I would have consistently seen in other sports who actually become top class are the ones whose technical ability and so on and so forth and the skill they find a way through the variability. It's not so robotic. And I, the horrible word that we put on these type of people, though, is their, their, their natural talent, you know, because I, I, I would see, I'd, I'd completely agree with that. And you can see it also in the, uh, in the golf space quite a bit, I'd say. And you must see it a lot more than me, uh, Peter. Yeah, yeah. I suppose what I was kind of alluding to earlier on as well, the, the kind of injury space as well, you know, like... yeah. Uh, like a scratch handicap I came in a couple of months ago. We discussed this all, didn't we? And basically swinging at quick, you know, 110, 115, and getting a very sore back. And, and it was his technique, you know, how he was moving. Now, his outcome was pretty good, but, I mean, he was mid-30s and, you know, rarely did I do this, but I was like, that this needs to change. Or you're not going to be playing golf in 10, 15 years' time, in my opinion. You know, because yeah. he was hitting five, 600 balls a week. Never seen the guy again, but I'm quite happy that I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's probably what didn't, he didn't want to hear that, but yeah, yeah, yeah like he, he came to me saying, I've got a really sore back, and I'm like, Well, this is why it's happening, <laughs> yeah, and a very ingrained movement. So, you know, again, that's back to your behavior that would take a while to shift. What would be an example of a uh, training a skill versus training a, a technique? I think. I think for me, training a technique in, involves a level of, of either instruction from coaches. And, and you know, again, uh, my experience as a sport, you'll get coaches and you'll get technical instructors. And some will, will do uh, both very well and some will actually not do one or the other very well. I think, I mean, if I look at it from a biomechanics perspective, if we're looking at technique and trying to train or refine a technique, the first thing I'll always ask is, is does this actual intervention need to happen? And, and from a biomechanist perspective, we generally look at it from a performance perspective or from an injury prevention perspective. But actually, when you modify something in a technique, you're likely to have a, a, a performance regression for a period of time. So we have to be, we have to be conscious of, of that when, when with the, the, the players or the athletes that we're working with. Is, in, this, in elite, of, is this elite athletes? Sorry about an yeah, Is this, this all elite? Well, I would say it applies to everyone, really. It's, mm. it's, it's not just elite. I think, you know, your mid-handicap golfer that may come to you like is really to ask him, do you, does that technique need to change? Because there's an investment of time required there. So do they have the patience and, and the, the commitment to be able to do that? Because 
their score may drop over a period of time, and that be might might be quite frustrated for them. Or yeah. actually, are they are they looking for something that might be actually a more of a, a skill intervention? So it might be more of a, a a focus of attention or a a constraint that you put upon them, where you're not necessarily changing the technique, but you're modifying their thought processes or what they're doing in order to achieve the achieve the outcome. So I, I think. In order to achieve the desired outcome or, or to have the skill level, do they have the, I guess what I would call the fundamental scaffolding or, or mm-hmm. basics of the technique in order to achieve that? And if they don't, then for me, a technical intervention needs to occur. If they do have the fundamental basics, then actually then maybe some variability of practice or variability around those basics so that they're able to achieve that, that skill more successfully and more often might be a, a better way to go. I think I think when I, again I'd agree with I agree with Ali on, on all of that. I, I think when I think of the difference between technique and skill from a practice perspective, I, I I think of the practice schedule and the type of definitions of practice schedules that are available to us. And I kind of I'm drawn to the you know that that academic test or text of Schmidt and Lee when in motor control and learning. When, you know if I'm thinking technique, I'm thinking of segmentation and fractionization. I'm thinking of breaking it down essentially if i'm thinking of skill i'm thinking of completeness of the task and i think that's a guide that i would that i would use let's say and to try and determine where the work is needed to be done is it something that needs you know as i said some form of chaining of the task or is it something that which for me would lead to technique work or is it something that the completeness of the task is still survives that thinking and if that's the case well then that that'd be more back into that skill space but you could you could go really deep into the kind of technique stuff as well this is my opinion but and, and we're doing a little bit of write-up as well on this with the book uh, with uh, graham and ian renshaw we are the actually understanding the individual in front of you you know i'm gonna i'm just gonna talk about what we're gonna write in the book but like ian came to Scotland last year, I interviewed him for about an hour and a half on the way up the car. You know, he had a torn right shoulder. I'd seen him play golf and played 18 holes with him the day before. He's got a big slice. And the technical intervention took five minutes. It was just two and a half, well, it was a stick in front of him, hit around that, and hit swing at 50%. And he was hitting draws instantly. And, and that has stuck. You know, so... To me, it's understanding the individual in front of you and the sports they've played and then the analogies and how you, how you can quickly attune to them. You know, how can you relate to them without making it complicated yeah. and not breaking down the movement that they've got? Even that example you've given there, and I, I would only know of E of, of e and I've never met him, but I would know of, uh, of him because a lot of the people I would know know him and, uh, and so mm. on and so forth. So even the work that you would have done with him there and an appreciation of the, the skill set that he would have from other sports and so on and so forth. But the uptake of somebody like like an Ian who has mm. that appreciation of, of, of what you're doing to him, you know, of yeah. what you're trying to do. So his capacity to lock in to the pertinent points of what you're doing would be far superior to most, I would suspect, because he, he completely gets what you're trying to do and, and knows, okay, this is this is the important part. I need to listen up here, you know, and then we'll be able to take it away with them 
to and know how to maintain that and would also be very cognitively aware of oh, oh yeah. no, that's the old stuff that's kind of creeping you know yeah yeah, so yeah that's why someone like him and i'm not surprised i've never met the guy that that something small but important and relevant like you did is stuck with them you know yeah but but that's the ta- that's the tricky so, thing then for people so, who would not have that so depth of experience as he does. Flip that, Cordy. Can we do what we did with you about four years ago then? Tell the boys a story of what we did with you four years ago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the story of that was I was uh, hitting the ball short and a slice off the tee. And Pete, you know, very smartly just had me go play two balls outside of 75 yards, one a fade and one a draw. And, um, after about, oh, I don't know, three rounds, I figured out how to hit a draw, first of all, <laughs> which, <laughs> which took a while. And then I started hitting it, you know, 20 yards further, 30 yards further. So a huge difference, huge difference. And it was just because I spent some time, I, I spent some quality, you know, quality time trying to figure it out. And I failed, uh, you know, pretty much the entire first, I don't remember exactly if it was three, five rounds, whatever it was, but like, I, I couldn't do it. And then eventually figured out, uh, something that worked for me and then, you know, saw a big change and was able to bring that to a performance environment. But I think one thing that you just identified there is something that I think myself and Ali and Pete have talked at different times is you were given sufficient enough information to then go away and the big word coming explore with it and I think that's a key part of any good coach athlete relationship that 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 appreciation of letting the athlete go away and explore and 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 and, and figure stuff out without constant feedback and constantly you know, oh no no left this down no no right this down no actually i'd never seen a swing never like we just gave right. him a, a task of like it was a score score base try and score this with fades try and score this with draw out with mm. 75 yards you play right. that shot and and i remember a messenger you were going i'm struggling with this i just said keep going keep doing it keep doing it and then you, I've got the screenshot. Remember, I did it in a presentation, and Cordy was came back, and he was like, "I've had a draw, and it's going longer." And I was like, that self-organization under constraints, and he was like, "Oh my god, so is." Yes. Well, my my question is always then, Pete, of like whenever I'm talking to someone, my you know my temptation is like I I love that methodology so much because it's just my personality, as I love struggling. <laughs> And like, yeah. so it just, I, I resonate with that so well, however, that might not be everybody that, you know, giving somebody a technique to help, you know, speed up that process, yeah. like talk, talk to me about that because that's, that's really difficult, right? Like when do you choose to change the technique to speed up that process? You know, when do you choose to let someone just fight it out and just, you know, struggle? Like, how do you, how do you make that decision? Oh, I mean, if I'm being brutally honest, it's you know, I live in a commercial world as well. You know, my lessons are one two hours. I've not got days with with guys like like Ollie and and Ed. So sometimes it's difficult. I relate it to sometimes you have to dip your toe into their world. So I'll give you an example: a player that I worked with in my first year or two years, who'd come through a talent development environment that was highly structured and highly rigid, and I threw him in absolute chaos and lost them. I mean, there was arguments, fights in the golf course, the two of us, well, not fight, physical fights, but there was 
there was there was a lot of conflict there. If I get that same player now, I will dip my toe into their world first and then ease them out of it. So yes, I'll maybe do some technical stuff with them, but it'll be very light. But but just to keep the conversation going. That's similar to experiences of mine from years ago. I remember the first time I met I met Rick Shuttleworth. I don't know how many years ago now, and and just the uh, it was like the parting of the <laughs> parting of the seas moment, you know, when all of a sudden you're aware of 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 just a better way of working, you know, something that is not so so rigid, so so tight in one sense, but something that is actually adaptable and and malleable with what's in front of you, you know, and. I know Rick now talks about his cut, bleed, and bandage. You know that he does, and I remember that that idea. In you know what you just said there, Peter. I remember, like when I think back of some things I I would have done years ago, when yeah, I, I was trying to do too much in the space. As you said, it was it was led terribly one-sided. Let's say you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and it is it, to answer that you know from my perspective to answer that question of how how do you know when to do this and when to do it for more or, or less and that's that's down to the kind of good old-fashioned just just chat you know keep keep the lines of communication open so so that you're able to know because I think if we start looking for a systematic way to do it we're back in, we're, we're in trouble again. We're all of a sudden saying, well, this is what it says in the book and I did it and it doesn't work. And you're, you're like, well, you know what? The book had to finish somewhere. So after 200 pages, the editor was like, look, we got to wrap this up, you know, because if the book was actually to give you all the possibilities and all the things and whatever, it would have been about 250 million pages. But we tend to read books looking for answers. And I think the really good books that I've read in the past are books that have not actually given me answers, but have actually given me a method to learn how to learn. And I think that's that's really critical for a coach to not look for not look for answers and, and almost say to your to say, say to the players that you work with and the athletes you work with, you know, we're, we're going to figure this out together. <laughs> because if you're thinking I am the oracle for with all the answers. This is going to be this is going to be too painful a process because no one has all the answers and you, and you're different you're going to be different tomorrow let alone how how different you are to the the guy next to you you know but if everyone's engaged with the that space of okay let let's work together and it's a partnership and we're going to figure this out together and we're going to you know then I think those moments that you spoke about Cordy about well when do you say stop that and move on to something else and when do you then it, then it becomes much more of a, a joint decision and, and, and something much more rich can come out of that as opposed to, well, the only person who has to say in this matter is the coach because the coach is all-knowing. And that's just, I just don't see that um, being the case. Yeah, I think uh, it's saying there, it is a partnership. I think one of the points that, that, that Peter raised is, is stepping into their world is really important. I'd, I'd certainly want to see the the performer in competition and understand what things look like within the the competition or, or the, the the challenge or that perspective. What what it looked like because you can see some things in practice that are just completely different in competition. So particularly from from a behaviors perspective, and it's not often technical and inverted commas or it's not often kind of physical 
issues. It can be in in a sport like golf, it can be hugely related to kind of psychological or pressure related aspects. So pressure can do can can change behavior hugely and can have a, a huge impact on on kind of motor control and kind of motor abilities. So what may seem obvious might have a, a, a greater kind of depth to it. You know, I remember working with an archer who was who was in her in her mid thirties, had had five Olympic games behind her and, you know, would would shoot some of the highest practice scores you'd ever see for a female athlete. And as soon as she came to competition, she had a, a choke, probably something similar to, to the yips. And we we tried for, for ages to, to to put in a technical intervention uh, within the practice environment. But as soon as it came to competition, it just never transferred. And actually, on reflection within what we were doing, we were actually probably making her less confident in her technique and actually not assisting her to, to deal with the, the issue that she directly had within competition rather than focusing on, on the issue and the actual root cause of it, which which had happened many, many years before. So I think kind of my example was was based around it actually might just be as obvious as, as you kind of think is, is what you see in the surface is there can be a lot of things which can cause performance impact. The things that you say that just while you got, while you got, while, while the call dropped there, I was just saying that there's a need for more of a team-like experience around an athlete because there's so many variables that feed into performance. It shouldn't be the responsibility of a single coach to be able to handle all of the requirements of the athlete. And like what you're saying there, you know, it's such a multivariate situation. It mightn't be one thing. It might be something completely different. And if there's someone in the team who can deal with that effectively, well, great. This was a fun chat. I love these kind of interactions where we can hear from a few people. We can talk about a topic and this was just the first part in this series of the next couple weeks where we're going to focus on skill acquisition how we get better next up we'll have the unedited version of this conversation that you can listen to if you are interested in that and then the week after we will have an episode around block practice its role and how to effectively use it huge thanks to the guys for taking the time to come on and chat Peter Arnott, golf coach we have heard from in the past on the podcast, based out of Edinburgh, Scotland. Follow him on Twitter at Peter Arnott Golf. His website, PeterArnottGolf.com. He has some good articles on there that are worth checking out as well. Make sure to follow along to him. We have Ed Coughlin. Follow him on Twitter at DrSkillAcq. He's a great follow. His website is the same thing, drskillact.com. And then finally, Ali Logan. You can follow him on Twitter at O-L-L-Y-L-O-G-O he is someone to keep up with as well thank you so much for listening make sure to subscribe to this podcast or wherever you are listening listening to it too i uh, appreciate it very much and uh, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider to become a free golf science lab insider tip to date get everything first i highly recommend you do that this episode is hosted and written by me cordy walker you can follow me on twitter at cordy walker it was edited mixed and produced by just hit published productions 